North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. You've tuned in to Dr. Low Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Noel, naturopathic doctor. Tonight, so we are going to be talking about an issue that is that is affecting so many people. It's one of the most common issues I see in my practice, and this is insomnia. We're going to talk to Dan Party tonight, and I was on a, um, a panel with Dan in um, let's see where was I? It was in Austin for Taylor uh, Effects. Sorry, my mind is coming back to me. I've had kind of a crazy day. And uh, we were on a panel talking about how to have restful sleep and what insomnia is all about. And he's an expert in this area, so I figured we've got to have him on the show to talk about this topic. It's such a common issue. I was looking at statistics um, a little while ago just doing some last-minute prep, and I'm just amazed at how much of an issue this is for so many people. I mean, people are falling asleep throughout the day because they're not having restful sleep at night. So it's a big deal, and it has some major implications on your health that we'll get into later. Before I introduce Dan officially um, on the show, I'll give you a few announcements. So next week's show, we're going to be talking to an acupuncturist. She's wonderful. Her name is Shelly Cron. And I think it might be one of our first, actually probably our first acupuncturist on the show. We're going to talk about Eastern medicine for fertility, so how you can use Chinese medicine to really promote, um, you know, how, like actually being able to have a baby. We're going to talk about men and women, too. So it's not all just about women. It involves the men, too. So that will be next week's show, same time, Tuesday, 6 p.m. And uh, we have some really great shows lined up the next few weeks, too. So stay tuned for that. If you're not on my newsletter list, hop on over to DrLaurenNoel.com. Sign up for email updates. I'll keep you in the loop of what's going on over here. If you um, are not working with a doctor who you are happy with, and I encourage you guys, if you're not happy with your doctor, fire your doctor. There's so many amazing, amazing doctors out there. I'd be happy to work with you. I work with patients locally in San Diego and all over the country. Check me out, drlaurennoel.com. If you want to see a naturopathic doctor in your area, check out naturopathic.org. That's a website where you can type in your zip code and find a legit ND who is trained from an accredited naturopathic school, and you can find someone who you who will speak your language. Because if you speak a different language than your doctor, it's probably not going to go so well. It might be confusion and frustration for both of you guys. So save save the uh, you know the suffering for both of you. Okay, so tonight is all about sleep issues, insomnia, how you can sleep like a baby. Dan Party is the CEO and co-founder of Dan's Plan an online wellness and technology company promoting optimal health in our modern world, if you can imagine. Prior to founding his company, Dan established a track record of excellence in various health-related occupations, including innovative work in bioinformatics and scientific and medical affairs in the biopharmaceutical industries. He also performed scientific research on diet, exercise, and cancer, and he continues to conduct research today in both sleep neurobiology and cognitive neuroscience at Stanford University and the University of Leiden. As a lauded presenter and educator, Dan has been invited to speak to physicians and academic audiences around the world, including Switzerland, Germany, Moscow, Belgium, Netherlands, Turkey, Budapest, and throughout the United States. He's an invited member 
of the Society for Ingested Behavior and was formerly the chairman of the board of directors for IISRA, which is a global association helping to stimulate independent research grants for academic investigators. Early in his career, he also served as the assistant head strength and conditioning coach at the University of San Francisco, where his primary responsibility was the design of year-round training protocols to optimize in-season peak performance for 13 different athletic teams. And what's cool is he's a family man, he loves dogs, he loves MMA, so he's like a little bit of the soft and also the manly too. He loves cycling, dancing, electronic music, soul, jazz, great food, a good night's sleep, very you know, tied to our topic, and of course, Burning Man. <laughs> it's all tied together. Dan, thanks for being on the show. Welcome to Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I can't believe you read my whole bio. That's, that was such a mouthful. <laughs> I'm amazed I didn't stutter. Like, it's it's incredible to me. You did way better than I would ever have done reading my own bio. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. Hey, what's going on with you? Now, you, you, um, you're you a 415 area code. Are you up in, like, San Francisco, I want to say? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um live in San Francisco. I've been here for, gosh, let's say, I grew up in the Bay Area, but I moved to the mm-hmm. city in uh, the early 90s, and I've been here mostly. I go back and forth between Europe and here. I spent a little time in Florida, um, but I've been here mostly for like 20 years now. So it's a great city. Love it so much. But uh, And you're in San Diego, right? Yep, I'm in San Diego. Yes, sir. In a beautiful spot. A beautiful spot. Yes. It is beautiful. And by the way, for you guys listening, I am recording this show from my apartment again, so I'm right next to the train track. So if you hear something crazy in the background, it's probably either my dog or the train. So just putting that out there. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dan, tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about Dan's plan for those who aren't familiar with it. What's Dan's plan all about? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I was working in the pharmaceutical industry and medical affairs back around 2006, 2007, and had worked in it for many years. Um, And medical affairs is a really interesting department. Um, They do scientific and medical support on products after they've been approved by the FDA. So uh, we were, what I was responsible for was uh, scientific publications. um, So that was coming from the company and then also a research grant program. So how do you, uh, give unrestricted grants to academics to, for them to do their own research just in the field of sleep and Parkinson's disease and essential tremor. We supported all sorts of areas. It was a really fun job. I got to review a lot of research. Um, but my primary interest was, you know, lifestyle, trying to help people live a healthier lifestyle. And it's, you know, I the, the thesis of the company is that that is, a cause of, you know, or at least a contributor to most of our modern disease. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that this was going to be this, this huge challenge to address, and it was going to require uh, investigation into a lot of different disciplines. So not only having, you know, good knowledge and partnerships in, set in the various domains, like nutrition and sleep and exercise science, et cetera, but then also understanding behavior and what drives somebody to either do something or not do it. Um, how do you get somebody to start a behavior? How do you get them to maintain it? How do you get them to get start doing it again if they fell off the wagon, so to speak? Um, and so it's just this enormous puzzle, and um, I was really inspired to try to try to address it. And so, um, and also, I had a personal story too. My dad 
was dealing with cancer diagnosis and I was trying to help him, you know, be healthy. And um, I kept throwing information at him and he would listen to it very earnestly, but it was really hard for him to implement it. And so I just kept throwing more information at him. And so I, I, after he passed away, I started to think, okay, well, is information enough? And can you create, how do you, how do you uh, communicate information in a way that actually gets somebody to, you know, believe and then and then also try to make it a part of their kind of daily objective. And then what kind of tools and program programs can you create that just make it easier for somebody to, you know, do the right thing? Because I think that a lot of the health dialogue comes from, oh, people, you know, people don't know what to do. They're not being healthy. They're you know, if they talk about the, you know, this, the common dialogue talks about people as though they're completely helpless. I don't see it that way at all. I think a lot of, I think most people have this very strong sense of self-preservation. They want to do it right. And uh, there's probably a lot of confusion because of the, there's so many different sorts of messages out there about what you should do, very contradictory oftentimes. Um, and so I come from the perspective that people want to be healthy. And so we're trying to give them tools and services that just make it easier to live a healthy lifestyle consistently so that two, three, four, five years from now, a much higher percentage of every single day you are doing all the things that you need to do in order to, you can say, have a healthy lifestyle. Um, And a lot of them are not really exotic, right? You know, they're simple. Mm. They're going to bed on time, walking, you know, these these things that we already do, but um, they're easy to overlook. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. Well, it's brilliant because the reality is there's there's no shortage of information out there. In fact, people are just inundated. It's like information overload, and what they really need is a way to make it simpler for more more simple, simpler <laughs> for them, and and kind of hold their hand through it because it's like they're just inundated with so much information. So, how does Dan's plan make it simpler for people? Yeah. So, um, you know, we have a we created a framework, uh, everything actually started with this behavior change model that I developed in collaboration with the professor of behavioral economics. Um, and uh, it, part of it is information. So we want to give people enough information so that they feel, um, that it, we try to inspire belief that this topic is important. For example, we're going to talk to you today about sleep and here are the things that matter in sleep. And that's going to, I think, can affect somebody's worldview, their attitude, their motivations, how they feel about a topic, right? And then next, you want to think about, okay, well, what does that look like? Now that you believe that this is important, um, all right, what does it look like on a daily basis? What are the actionable steps? Or what are the things that you mm-hmm. do um, over a day or a week? And then next, um, is there are there some things that you can get feedback on? And there's a lot of new devices in, in, out there that are there's – there's a movement called Quantified Self – and you're starting to see a lot more digital, small digital devices that are able to capture aspects of lifestyle, like steps, like pedometer. You know, and the difference between these new devices and pedometers before is that they can wirelessly transmit your information so that you can look at it on a website or your, you know, on your phone and in an app, and it can present it in a really compelling and interesting way, and it can remind you to do something at the right time. So now it's funny because. I think in a lot of ways, technology has been kind of the cause of a lot of the problems um, for health. You know, we've, whether it's manu- you know, mm-hmm. the ability to manufacture food substances or, you know, the ability, you know, cars and other ways to, 
systematically reduce physical activity in our world, desk work or light, you know, light late at night, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, you know, and at the same time, I think now these new devices, these technological devices can actually really help because they can basically make you mindful of your lifestyle. So we, can, we try to give people a very clear idea of what they, can, they should be doing and then also objective data so they know, am I doing it or not? So we create what's called a zone of health, and it basically looks at your last seven days of activity and um, both sleep, low-intensity physical activity or high-intensity physical activity, and it tells you, are you meeting your daily health goals? And if you're not, then it reminds you. And that's a great way to say, okay, you know, I want to be doing this, and I'm not. Let me, let me modify my own behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Very, very, very yeah. useful. Awesome. Nice work. Yeah. I know it's probably been a ton of work to do that, but, gosh, I mean, such a great contribution for people. Oh, thank you, Lauren. It's been a huge – it's been, you know, a labor of love. It's a huge project. We're still – you know, working on it. I mean, I, I, I almost think of it more like a commitment than a product or a program, you know, because the product, the, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to take shape. It, we're going to be learning more about science on a daily basis. There's going to be new tools and services. So the product is going to evolve constantly, but we're committed really to this area, and we want to, you know, just continue to refine the product and the information that we're putting out there and make it as, you know, a really helpful you know, system for people to use. And if it's any, you know, marker of its value, I personally use it every single day, and um, yeah. I'm happy about that. You know, they say, like, don't don't build something you don't want to use yourself. And, right, um, exactly. You know, I, you know it's, I just, I, I get a lot, just the feedback alone. It's not that I, I really appreciate the value of sleep, so it's not like it's trying to teach me, hey, sleep is important. I, I know that, and, you know, I'm, or at least I believe that. But then my own tools, you know, it can be very surprising what you think you're doing, what you're actually doing. So, it's, it's, you know, that sort of feedback is just really useful. Yeah, for sure. And I'm getting flashbacks when we're sitting there on the um, the panel at uh, Paleo FX. And I honestly didn't know that you were an expert in, in sleep. Like, I didn't know that was something that you studied. So when you started talking, I looked over and I was like, what the heck? Like, he knows so much about this topic. And I was like, that's so great. i got to have you on the show to talk talk about this and, and how incredibly important this is. And I know that in our busy lives in 2013, oftentimes sleep is the, the last thing that's on our mind as a priority. I mean, it's like for, for busy parents, they get home, they, they finally get their kids to sleep, and now they have a moment of, you know, their time. And sometimes that's like, you know, the only time they really have for themselves, so they'll stay up really late, go to bed, and then have to, dra- you know, press the snooze button a million times in the morning and drag themselves up out of bed. And so people are just starving for restful sleep. So let's kind of like take sort of a broad look at, at, at this topic. You know, what what are the implications of not having restful sleep? Like, how important is this really? Well, it's such a it's such a good question, and it's such an important question because before I talk about the implications, I'll tell you that we're getting about twenty percent less sleep on average than we were in 1960. Right, and so that's a, that, and it, that turns out to be a very significant amount. And so, if you look at the sleep literature in a broad spectrum of different areas where sleep is researched, you see that that level of sleep loss is very significant. It causes very significant impairment in mood, 
in immune system function in all levels of cognition, which is one thing that, that I study. Um, and by the way, I look at cognition and how that relates to like, the eating behavior, which is super fascinating. Um, and But, you know, one thing that's very, very interesting is that a lot of the changes happen beyond our awareness of them. And so you, it, sleep loss starts to change the way that you think and decide and even though some some of the some of the the impairments of sleep you can feel you're like oh I'm a little groggy but some of them are you're just basically it's turning you into a little bit of a different person so mm. if you're living in this chronically sleep deprived state um, you know you could be just a different version of yourself and I think it's arguable that you're certainly not you know a your a full version of yourself you know your optimal self um, and I think mm-hmm. that cultural attitude you know oftentimes in a lot of people, not everyone, is, you know, there's enough time for sleep in the grave, right? You know, I don't need, I can, I can perform really well on this many hours. I don't need to sleep this, you know, longer. But it's almost as though if you're sleeping, then it's equated or associated with being lazy somehow, right? And, right. Uh, you know, and I know that um, I deal with a lot of, we do corporate wellness, and so I deal with a lot of, uh, you know, working with investment funds and hedge funds, and these people are very interested in how they're performing, and they're dealing with a lot of dollars. Uh, and at the same time, the pressure on the individuals in that line of work are very high, and so oftentimes they have, you know, a global set of you know, people that they're doing business with. And so they're getting emails at a very weird time. And so they want to be responsive. And so the pressures of their job are now creating a system where, you know, they're having to wake up very early and then also go to bed very late. And then they're also expected mm-hmm. to perform, you know, at a very intense level late at night. And so, um, you know, that's, you can, it, it's like the, you know, when we talk about the kind of the modern environment, this is just one way where, you know, a, this particular work environment and many others kind of share a lot of similarities starts to shape people's, you know, how much they're, they're sleeping, even if they're really thinking about it or not. They're just basically responding to, you know, emails and tasks of their job. And next thing you know, they're averaging 25, 30, 40% less sleep than what they otherwise would be getting. And, you know, I mean, we, there's, a good 100,000 car crashes per year due to sleep, you know, and a good 40,000. Yeah, I know. Think about that. A huge amount. Huge amount. Um, you know, 40,000 injuries per year not related to car crashes, but just people falling, tripping, or, you know, whatever that may be, but injuries related to sleep loss. Um, and so it's one thing that is... I think really illuminating last year at the European Sleep Research Society, I was watching a presentation by Hans and Nongen, who is a researcher at, up in Washington. Um, he does really amazing work and he created a model that is basically equating sleep loss to, um, he looked at something called a diffusion model. So if you think about, you know, a piece of information getting into your mind, it just takes a lot longer. It takes longer to diffuse into your mind for your body to then, for your mind to then be able to work with it, react to it, right? And so, you know, that makes total sense for car crashes. You know, if you're you're getting all this stimulation, cars behind you, to the left, right, stoplights, right, and you've got to react to that. You've got to synchronize all that information. You've got to react to it. 
And if you're processing that information very slowly, mistakes happen, right? You go through a red light. You drift over into the other lane. And hopefully nobody gets hurt, including, you know, yourself if you're in that, if, you know, you're the one that's doing the driving. But you can see the consequences are enormous, you know. So mm. sleep is a very big item of discussion for the transportation industry, right? Airplanes, trains, um, you know, right. a, 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 other governmental organizations. They they have regulations around that now. Um, they try to get have people get enough sleep. So it's uh, yeah. I was looking at some of these is. other stats. They're they're crazy. The stats are crazy. They're, so 40 million people. There's a number of people in the U.S. who have a chronic sleep disorder. This is back from 2012. Um, yeah. 18 billion dollars is the estimated cost to U.S. employers in lost productivity due to sleep loss issues. 18 billion dollars just from sleep loss issues. Um, 37. Yeah. So 38% of people unintentionally fell asleep during the day at least once in the past month. So nearly 40% of people unintentionally fell asleep during the day. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. 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 And there are times of the day where you're more likely to, um, well, maybe I'll actually, this would be, I think, really interesting. I'll tell you about how alertness is regulated. Um, Mm -hmm. Would that be interesting? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so um, when I learned about this, I had one of those, like, whoa, mind-blown kind of big moments. But um, how alert or sleepy you feel over the day is actually regulated by two distinct processes in the brain. Um, and so there's something called sleep, sleep drive um, or sleep pressure. And from the moment you wake up, sleep pressure is building across the day. Now, it doesn't mean that you get sleepier and sleepier as the day goes on. In fact, a lot of people will wake up. They might be a little bit groggy. There's a little bit of what they call sleep inertia. And then they'll have, within a fairly narrow band, you have a good day or a bad day, you're, you know, whatever your alertness is. And there might be some dips in the, in the afternoon, um, but you're about the same level of alertness from morning to night, all right? Then there's, mm-hmm. and so, and because of that, even though sleep pressure is building from morning to night, there's a, there's a process that counteracts that pressure. And these two work somewhat in harmony with each other if everything is lined up. And I'll talk about what lined up means in a minute. Um, but that other, that what's counteracting sleep pressure is called wake drive. And wake drive happens from a variety of neurobiological centers in the brain, um, you know, the and I'll just, I'll just name a few, uh, the locus ceruleus, which is a, a center of the brain that produces um, norepinephrine, that is causing alertness. You have your ascending reticular activating system, which uses glutamine to uh, kind of for its signal. That's causing alertness. You've got dorsal refe, serotonin. So there's all these different centers, and they are all sending an alerting signal that will counteract sleep pressure and make you feel alert, right? And so hmm. there are those, basically, those two things that are working, and so at any point during that tw- a 24-hour period, however you feel is going to be basically a combination of how much sleep pressure do you have and how much wake drive do you have, right? And so mm-hmm. you'd, you'd imagine that because when a system is working function, you know, properly, if you have a lot of sleep pressure building over the course of the day, 
then you're going to have a lot of sleep pressure, you know, 8, 9 o'clock at night, right? But, again, you're not sleepy then because you actually have, for that at that same time of day, wake drive is really, really working very hard. And so um, that's how they kind of work in, in combination with each other. Now, conversely, in the more as you sleep, sleep pressure is actually reduced, and that makes total sense. Um, and but in the, you know so in, and also wake drive will go down because you don't you have a lot less sleep pressure so you don't need as mm-hmm. much wake drive right so in the morning mm-hmm. you have very low sleep pressure and you have very low sleep drive and overall those two together um, those two together make you feel alert and at night you've got high sleep pressure and high wake drive and and again that makes you feel alert so it's this kind of this balance, this dance that the the brain is doing um, over the day to make you again feel alert or sleepy. So that's a pretty oh, you know when I'm, it's so interesting. Yeah, when I learned that, I was like, wow, okay, I, you know, it's it totally changed my perspective of like how this is you know how this is all going on. And you can imagine there's a ton of different disorders where all different parts of that chain can be you know broken, you know, and so right. that could mean you know you can't sleep at night because certain centers that make you feel really sleepy are not functioning, you know, and so you have, mm-hmm. you can get insomnia, you know, in fact, some of the early studies um, with where researchers were doing lesion work on animals, they, when they knocked out this one area of the hypothalamus, these animals basically had like permanent insomnia. They could not go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when you looked at the, yeah, the other part of the hypothalamus, the, on the other side, when they knocked out that part and not the other part, then they were very sleepy. They were really, really sleepy all the time, and they couldn't, you know, they would, you know, they, they slept way more than normal mice. They were, like, basically always sleepy. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and that was really good work for researchers to start to parse right, what are the different anatomical centers that actually kind of make a difference or, or that are involved, first of all. And then what are they doing? How, you know, how, how are they kind of working together? And, and then, over, you know, over time, more research has been kind of showed, okay, well, if you have certain sorts of disorders like narcolepsy or sleep apnea, then, then you started to then kind of define the characteristics of that particular condition. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's super fascinating stuff altogether, and it's a very complicated, you know, incredibly complicated because you just have, you know, it, that was a very simplistic kind of explanation of what's going on, kind of conceptual. Mm-hmm. But overall, there's a lot of different systems that are working together um, and getting a lot of input from around the body. And, you know, and that's why we can have, like, lots of different types of alertness and types of sleepiness. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it remains fascinating for me today. I feel like you know, the more I've learned, the more I realize I have so much more to learn. So it's, it's oh, definitely feels it's all about. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. And, totally. And, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a fascinating uh, way that the body, I mean, the body's just genius, right? The way it regulates so many different processes in the body. And and, and, and I can see, like you're saying, how, how so many little variables along that can go wrong. Usually the, the main thing I would see in my practice looking at issues with sleep, most people kind of wake up tired in the morning and then they get their coffee, and then they're awake, and then they kind of putter along throughout the day, get some stuff done, eat their lunch, and usually afternoon they have an afternoon low where they could probably have some more coffee or they could take a nap, and then they push through it. And then at nighttime, 
either one of two things, either they collapse into bed or if they miss that little window, then they're wide awake and they can finally get stuff done. So that's, like, just so classic, right? We do it all the time. So, like, what in your research and what, you know, what you've, you've done tons of research in, in this whole phenomenon of sleep, you know, where does this go wrong and where can we kind of jump in and try to fix this whole, because it's really the circadian rhythm is off, right? So how do we intervene? Yeah. So, I, you know, the way that I, um, you brought up a really important topic. Whenever I talk about sleep, I like to, when I'm, when, what matters with sleep? So it's timing, intensity, and duration, all right? So timing means when did that sleep occur within your 24-hour period? And an example might be, let's say you regularly go to bed at 10 and wake up at 6, but then on Friday night you went to bed at 2 and woke up at 10, right? You got the same duration of sleep, but the timing of that sleep period shifted, all right? Mm-hmm. That, we know that that's important. We know that that's it's not equivalent. You, you know, getting eight hours just somewhere within the 24-hour period is not going to be as restorative than if you got mm-hmm. eight hours at the, you know, close to the same time day after day, all right? So that's mm-hmm. one area. Then is duration, right? So how much sleep did you actually get within that 24-hour period? And, you know, you can definitely fragment sleep, meaning you can, you know, there's a, there's models of cultures that would have biphasic sleep where they would take a nap in the afternoon and sleep a little bit less at night. Um, There's been other, you know, people that have tried to explore even fragmenting it even more, the concept of polyphasic sleep, so getting, you know, just all your sleep in little chunks instead of one consolidated eight-hour period. And by the way, I'll say eight hours just because that's an average, but there is an individual sleep need, and we can dive into that, too, if you'd like. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was is, really – I would love to go into that later because I thought that was really interesting that, you know, it's like it's like there's almost a pressure. You have to sleep eight hours. Some people need less. Some people need more. So, I, yeah, I'd love to talk about, like, how you can actually figure that out for people later. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, sure. I'm glad you – I'm glad, you know, um, you earmarked that. We'll talk about it for sure. So, um, cool. yeah, and then intensity is the other marker, and that's – you know, intensity really speaks to the depth of sleep. So as you sleep, you go through different stages. So there's two large categories, REM and non-REM. REM stands for rapid eye movement, and non-REM is non-rapid eye movement. Um, and non-REM has, usually when you fall asleep, you go right into non-REM, and then there's stage one, two, and there used to be stage three, four, but now they're calling it something different. They're calling stage three and four slow-wave sleep. And that is a very, very deep, rhythmic sleep. So if you were to look at, you know, what's called an EEG or a measurement of sleep um, that's ha- of when you measure the brain, um, you see that these, it looks like this oscillating sinusoidal rhythm, and it's very regular and it's high amplitude. Um, and what's happening is that all of the neurons of your brain are firing in rhythm during this slow-wave sleep. And this is, you know, whether that rhythmic firing is um, the cause of or the result of, um, you know, where the benefit, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, is derived from, it's thought to be very restorative, restorative for both Mm. mental function 
Um, hormones are released during that phase, growth hormone, um, and it's, uh, mem- there are certain aspects of memory formation to, uh, that are taking place during non-REM sleep. Um, usually it's often thought of to be associated with REM sleep, but there's both um, memory importance for both, at both uh, basically all stages. Um, and then non-REM is, or excuse me, REM sleep is very strange. It almost looks like, if you were looking at brainwave activity, it would almost look like the person was awake. So it's hmm. totally desynchronized, you know, which means it looks just like scribbles on a paper, right? There's, it's very low amplitude. And basically what's happening is the brain is, is working very hard. So if you also look at neurotransmitter activity in various parts of the brain um, and metabolism, uh, it's very similar to awake state, REM sleep. Hmm. And, in, in fact, there, um, one interesting aspect of REM sleep is, uh, as a part of it, normal physiological processes will paralyze the body while in REM sleep so that we can't act out our dreams, which makes, <laughs> you know, a lot of sense. Um, Probably a good thing. In fact, there is, exactly, yeah, because we, there is something called REM sleep behavior disorder, and that that, you know, the ability of the brain to cause paralysis during REM sleep goes missing and you see videos which is really Lawrence, so crazy. These guys are fully asleep and you can see their brain waves. They're all hooked up to the device and they're standing on their bed and they're throwing a football or swinging a sword or jumping out of a boat. You know, they're enacting what they're dreaming about. And wow. it can, you know, think about, I mean, there's actually been people that have been acquitted of murder because they were they were dreaming that they were getting attacked by a stranger wow. and strangled a dead partner. Yeah, it's really you know that's that was rare, but it you know it absolutely was legitimate. You can prove that. You can you know it's, it's not that common, but um, we're understanding more and more about REM sleep behavior disorder. But it's just a it's a good way to kind of show like this is you know this is what's happening during REM sleep. You have that paralysis. It, actually, if you have a dog. You can watch them when they're in REM sleep. You'll see them twitching, right? You'll see them oh, almost so running. Cute. Yeah. Is it cute? Yeah. yeah. Dinah always totally. acts like she's running away from something or she's, like, going to beat someone up. She starts, like, doing, like, a little bark. It's, yeah, it's so cute. Right, right. <laughs> and so there's a little bit of breakthrough of motor activity that happens. And, it's, yeah. you know, that's some of the twitching or they'll run for a second and they'll stop. So, but, you know, luckily they can Can I share a funny story about this? Please, Yeah. Okay, so I went to, um, and she's going to kill me for sharing this, I went to a medical conference probably a year, two years ago, um, one of the ACAM conference, and uh, one of my friends was a medical doctor, and he was on Amica, and we were, you know, we, it was like four of us in a room, we were all sharing a room, and she was sleeping next to me, and she was having a dream that she was in a fight. And I had my earplugs in, and I swear to you, in the middle of the night, she hit my head as hard as she could with her fist. She actually hit, like, my head slash ear. It was, like, my ear head. (laughs) And and I, like, jolted awake, and I was stunned. I was like, did that really just happen? I look over, and she's dead asleep. And I was like, I went in the bathroom. I, like, stumbled into the bathroom. It was dark in the room. And I look in the mirror, and my eyes are wide open, and I'm like, this girl just full-on clocked me in the head. <laughs> and um, and then the next day, I actually, I don't want to wake her up. I was like, I don't want to wake her up. She's asleep. So I went back to sleep. And then the next day, she goes, hey, did I punch you in the head last night? <laughs> I'm like, yes, you did. And 
it was, she goes, yeah, I do that to my, my um, husband a lot. So apparently oh, that part God. of her brain is affected. So, yes, I've experienced <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'm sorry that that happened, but you you know all too well then about that this can happen. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, uh, I know about that, this. Continue. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're, I'm glad you are okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, you know, those are, those are the different architectures of sleep. So, you know, when I'll, I'll circle back and I was talking about what really matters in sleep. So it's timing, duration, and then intensity. And that intensity is basically the rhythm that your mind and body go through during the different stages of sleep. And you'll go through somewhere between four and six stages every night. They're about 90 minutes in length. Um, and it's funny because I've heard people talk on the Internet about, like, trying to optimize oh, we need to get a lot more REM sleep and or you're not getting, you know, enough enough of this type of sleep or that type of sleep. Really, uh, all sleep stages are important and also the, the rhythmic nature of them, how they transition from one to the next. You know, there's a lot of evidence that even that is important. Um, in fact, even mm-hmm. at the end of the night, you know, a lot of times at the end of the night, what's cut off is the last bit of REM. And during REM sleep, your mind is replaying a lot of memories um, that were encoded uh, the day mm-hmm. before or in the, in, the past, in the past few days, and it's actually replaying them over and over again to strengthen memory. So your memory is drastically improved with sleep. So you'll, you'll see if you were to do a declarative memory test where you have somebody memorize a list of, you know, let's just say 20 different items, then their and they, you, you have them memorize it, you quiz them, their memory reliably will improve after sleep by a good, you know, 10 to 20%, right? So they're doing mm-hmm. better than they did right after the test, which it kind of goes and you know, speaks to, well, should kids stay up late at night trying to study or should they actually study beforehand and try to get a full night's sleep, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually speaking about memory, not only it's, you know, if you want to encode, which is basically write down new memories in your brain today, then prior sleep or how you slept last night really matters. If you want to basically then memorize or store memories into neural networks so that they become the process called long-term potentiation where, you you know, that's what's going You're You're really creating new structures in the brain that will, you know, form form real memories. And then the last part of good memory is retrieval. You know, you want to, if you need to go back and find that memory, then good sleep also helps with retrieval. So every part of the memory process, um, whether it's learning new stuff today, storing that new stuff in long-term memory, and then also retrieving it at some point in the future, all relies on good sleep, right? And a lot Mm -hmm. of that memory formation is actually taking place you know, not all of it, but a, lot, a good portion of it is taking place at the end of the night. And that, you know, again, when we're truncating sleep by 20%, right, 20% of your, on average, your sleep need, that's significant, right? I mean, that means that you're just not getting the benefit that you could night after night from the hard work you're putting in. And so you start mm-hmm. to come up with this argument. It's like, well, should I just stay awake longer or do I really want to try to make the most out of my 16 hours, right? Like, well, now I don't want to work longer. I want to work better, right? And right. that better, you know, you can really objectively measure it on a kind of day-by-day basis, but then over the long term, the trajectory 
of somebody who sleeps really well night after night versus somebody who doesn't, I mean, who knows where that leads to. Yeah, that's so interesting because, you know, I'm sure there's people going, well, I can't sleep eight hours a night. I have too much stuff to do. i got to stay up late to get this stuff done. It's like, well, if you get this restorative sleep, then your actual waking time could be that much more effective because you're remembering better, your 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 mental alertness is there more. I mean it's like it's like you're more of a of a performance machine as opposed to just barely getting by because you didn't get that restorative sleep, right? That's absolutely right, Lauren. I mean you you know, there's thinking is a very energetic process. I mean it consumes just the mind consumes like twenty five percent of our you know the glucose the uh from you know calorie cal- calorie basis on a daily basis. It's it's really using a lot of energy. And when, you know, you're, for example, if you, and if you think about the kind of that, you know, the modern world, right, you're at, if you, if you have a desk job, or even if you don't, with technolo- you know, technology devices like mobile phones, you're interrupted constantly, right? You're doing something and then you get a phone call. And then somebody passes by your office and they want to say, hey, you know, let's, they want to chat, chat for a moment. And then you get an instant message, right? You know, then you know, then who knows? Facebook pops, message pops up. It's it's const, there are constant interruptions and what's right. called task switching. When you go from thinking about one thing to doing another, it's an energetic process. It takes a lot of energy for your mind to say, okay, I'm all focused here. Okay, now I'm doing this. Now I'm attending to this person's message or this person speaking to me, and now I need to go back. And what happens is if you're starting with a low level of mental energy to begin with because it's for sleep, then what happens is, I mean, we've all experienced it. You're like, God, I just felt like I got nothing done today. You know, I just, you know, I just couldn't focus. And um, what's very interesting about AD, you know, for attention deficit is that when you're sleep deprived, it's not that you can't focus. You can't focus for very long, right? It takes mm-hmm. energy to, to sustain your focus on a subject so that you can continue to attend to it. You can filter out competing influences and you can really go deep into your work. And, you know, a lot of the work today is, you know, of cognitive demand. Um, And so, like you were saying, I absolutely think that people should, if you care about your work performance, um, and this is me to speak about physical performance, if you care about your work performance, you really want to emphasize sleep in your life. You want to make it kind of a part of, who you are, and it's kind of like a personal responsibility. And that's, you know, and when I'm talking about a sleep hygiene, the thing that you do have control over to try to make your sleep better. Now, there are things that that are affecting people's sleep that they don't have control over or that they have indirect control over. And so I don't want to, you know, sound like this is blaming people, but we all can try to, we can all make things better or worse. Do you want to do whatever you can to try to make things as as good as possible, right, for your Mm -hmm. sleep now, what about you? Let's get personal. What time? What time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? Oh. What do you do to oh, make God. to make this healthy in your life, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh gosh. Uh, well, Uh-oh. No, I, need, I, <laughs> I need it as much as anybody. I mean, I stayed up. You know, I ended up staying up like late the other night. I am I am just as susceptible as anybody else. You know, to yeah, yeah. And even though I like talk about sleep and other. That where I, you know, and I do actually really honor sleep. I, I, and so with our company, Dance Fund, we tried to, we created these models. We want to, have to help people live as an intelligent eater, an enduring mover, and a restorative sleep. So 
I won't go into the other ones, but for the, the restorative sleeper, it's what are the things that you can do to try to make your sleep as good as possible so that all these things that we're talking about come true, right? You perform really, really well, both mentally, you age well, you know, your, your mood is, your mood is good. Um, and so what do I do? Well, um, I've set a, uh, I think that one thing is intention formation, right? So you want to try to understand what time do you want to go to bed? And for me, my goal I, I have a sleep goal of trying to be in bed by 11.30 every night on average. All right. Ooh, that's a little now, late, Dan. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the nice thing is, is that because I work mostly from home, I mean, I, I don't have to get up at 6.30 or any. I, I usually sleep until about 7.30 um, is when I wake okay. up. So that's pretty, okay. yeah, so I'm getting good. You know, I, and I've, because I've tracked my sleep now for over, you know, a few years, um, I know that I end up, my average is getting like seven, seven and a half hours of time in bed per night. And I, you know, usually feel pretty, pretty darn good about that. And, and actually, I, I did have a sleep disorder, um, so around 2000, 2000, 2001 to 2003, um, I was dealing with really pathological sleepiness. And so I can relate mm-hmm. to people. Um, and basically, I have something, I have a, uh, a circadian rhythm is a, is a, a near 24-hour rhythm that our body goes through. And some people have longer rhythms. Um, and mm-hmm. so mine probably is around 27 hours. And when you have that long rhythm, that means that when you don't live a healthy lifestyle, you're much more likely to have, um, you know, you're, it's like you're in this perpetual state of jet lag, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't have good sleep practices for a few nights in a row, and all of a sudden – you know, you're totally wide awake in the middle of the night and you have terrible sleepiness in the middle of the day, right? right. So I went and got a sleep study done at Stanford and it showed that I had sleepiness equivalent to somebody who has narcolepsy and narcoleptics are missing a protein in their brain that basically drives all of wakefulness. It's kind of like the symphony conductor. It tells all those other centers when to be on. And they're missing that protein, and so it's basically very severe sleep. Um, and so, wow. Yeah, so I lived it for you know a few years, and there's nothing like living with something to make you really appreciate the value of it and to try to Absolutely. you know problem solve for yourself. You know, yeah. So that's what I do. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. So I do. I set an intention. I know how much time I want to be in bed, and I have a goal about what time. So right automatically there the duration portion and the timing portion are solved for me, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the other component is trying what we're calling smart light rhythm. And um, we were talking earlier about sort of these circadian rhythms and what happens. And so light has a very uh, – light that comes through the eye will affect your master clock. And the master clock is located in the brain in an area called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Um, and what it does is it will have, there are then clocks throughout our body in all body tissue. And those clocks are telling that cell, you know, every cell doesn't have the same degree or type of activity from morning to night, right? They all have variations in their activity, and these clocks tell the cell what time to be more quiescent, what time to be more active. And those, all those clocks throughout the body are getting the signal 
from the master clock about what time of day it is, right? So, you know, you can be fully synchronized, meaning everything's working in rhythm and working very well, and then you can travel to Italy, right? You've completely switched your light-dark cycle, and over the course of somewhere between, you know, six and nine days, your body will completely adapt to that new rhythm, right? It doesn't like mm-hmm. you get locked into San Francisco time zone or, you know, San Diego time zone. So mm-hmm. that's how our body is responding to environmental cues, of which light is by far the most potent. Um, and so, you know, to get a little nerdy with it, what happens is there are these special cells in the eye, and they're called intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. They act a lot like rods and cones, which are in multiplication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 yes. Yes. Okay, good. That was that's appropriate. They um, they they don't they're not involved in vision, but they they respond to light similarly as rods and cones do. But they don't communicate to the visual cortex. They communicate to the clock, right? And th- and they tell the clock what time of day it is. And the things that matter to those cells are the intensity of the light, the wavelength or the spectrum of light, the du- the duration of exposure, right? Uh, and so, and then the timing, timing of the day, too. So they, they even have their own stupidity for this. But, um, so when we say talking about smart light rhythms, you want to get bright light exposure during the day. I mean, just getting outside. I and mean, it makes total sense. We've evolved in an outdoor environment, and that's what our body is used to. And there's all sorts of these, you know, subtle signals that make us, you know, respond, say, like, you know, that our body is just kind of keeping it working properly. And now we've changed that environment so rapidly. So now, instead of being outside where the intensity of light is 10 times or 100, you know, a, a lot, a lot stronger than it is at even normal room light, you know, our, right. our, we're not getting the same stimulation. So getting mm-hmm. outside for somewhere like, you know, 15 minutes, ideally at least a half an hour, per day, have lunch outside, go for a walk, um, is really key. And then in the evening, you want to then turn down your light and then also try to change the spectrum. And I think that I heard you talk, do you use the F.Lux program? Which program? For your computer, F.Lux. You know, I, I've the, heard of it. I actually don't use it, but I'm, I'm looking for something hmm. like that. So is that the one you can install in your program so you don't get the, the uh, emission, the light emission? Yeah, so what it does, it's really, it's a great product. It's free. Um, you download the software, you you know, you load it, and what it does is it pulls out, your light emits, emits a full spectrum, uh, a full spectrum of light, right? And what it does when the sun goes down, it pulls out the blue light. So your screen looks a little bit more amber-toned or yellow, and your eyes adjust to it very quickly. Um, it looks just normal within this movement. It's almost like, smell, you know, like something when you first smell it, it's very strong, but then you kind of become accustomed to it and it doesn't smell as strong after a few minutes. But there's a similarity taking place with, with the light right there. So, um, yeah, but the reason why that's good is that it's not emitting that blue light. And that's basically the wrong signal at the wrong time. Right? And what I mean by that is when you're looking at a lot of, you know, really full spectrum bright light and then at night, you're basically telling your brain that it's daytime when it's actually nighttime, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you do that frequently enough, and this is a major problem 
in health today and, 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 and sleepiness and vigilance. One of the reasons why we're getting less sleep is a lot of people are like, you know, I'm just not that sleepy around, you know, when I want to go to bed. And for some people, a lot of them, it has to do with too much light too late at night. And by the way, doing one night where you have the light dim is not going to necessarily, it, it may or may not help you, even though it really could, right? You want to try to, in, you know, ingrain a pattern of doing the right thing for at least three weeks in a row before you can, re- you know, really are reaping the full benefits. And so, unfortunately, with sleep, there are these things that have very long trajectories in terms of affecting what's going on tonight. And so oftentimes people are like, I tried that last night. It didn't work. You know, you, it, it's, it's going to take more than one night for you to really, you know, to, again, experience that full benefit. And sometimes there's a period of time where you have to just accommodate to these new, you know, I'm kind of speaking to generalities here, but you have to accommodate to your new sleep routine. So very big. And like you said, you know, you're dealing with people who are just completely crashing or, all of a sudden, they were tired all day, and now they're alert, you know, right. and they, they can't go to sleep. And I experienced that. I was completely, I would wake up at bedtime. I would mm-hmm. wake up at bedtime. It was, it was miserable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is miserable. So you, yeah, especially when it's like that time you have to go to bed, you have to get that restorative sleep, otherwise you're going to be just uh, just having a tough time the next day, you know. Yeah, so yeah. have you have you experienced that yourself too? I mean, it's very common. That's very common. I do find for myself there's that window. If there's, you know, if I start to feel tired, if I go to sleep then, I'm good to go. And it's usually like around 9 or 10. I go to sleep a lot earlier than, than you, although if I miss that window, then I will be up until, God, I mean, 1 in the morning sometimes. So if I get that window, I'm golden, and I'll wake up feeling great in the morning. I feel like totally restored. Um, but, yeah, if I miss that little wave, then I can have a tough time. So it's interesting. Yeah. And, and it's a common thing I hear from patients that they get that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so, you know, I, it's the other things that can affect it, too, is, you know, ca- caffeine, of course, and there are fast and slow metabolizers. And so even if you have, ca- you know, enough caffeine, um, would you, at a time where you think it shouldn't be affecting your sleep, for some people it still can uh, alcohol um, is depressant, and so, uh, you know, and by the well, way, I don't think people, people don't like, understand. You don't, people don't get that the, the effects of caffeine can last up to 20 hours. You know, people think, oh, I mean, if it's if I'm having it in the morning, there's no way that can affect my sleep, and it's just not true. I mean, some patients go off of it, and then all of a sudden, hey, they can sleep again. So it's it's amazing how, and, and, and some people don't metabolize it the same way as others, so it can be something that lingers for quite a while in the body. Yeah, and then certain drugs and certain foods can inhibit the breakdown of caffeine, keeping it bioactive longer in the system before it's excreted. Um, and I'll tie it back into something we talked a little bit about earlier. I was talking earlier about sleep pressure and then wake drive and the neurological marker for sleep pressure. Like, what is what does that mean in the brain? Um, they, it has a, they're thinking it actually is adenosine. And by the way, caffeine is an and adenosine antagonist, which means that it's blocking, it's going to the adenosine receptor and it's blocking adenosine from binding. Right? Ordinarily, adenosine binding to its receptor causes inhibition, makes the, the, your neurons less active, so that and, you know, makes you sleepy. Right? And so you're blocking sleepiness. And that's a good way to think of, of caffeine is that it's blocking sleepiness. You know, it's hard to have 
you know, if you're really, if you're getting a lot of sleep and you're feeling really alert, a cup of ca- coffee does not sound good. I mean, it's like, no way, I'm, I'd be too stimulated, you know? Right. So, it, which is interesting because I bet there's only a fraction of your listeners that can really relate to that because we're all dealing with a, it's normal to actually have a sizable sleep debt or sleep, you know, where, which means that you're carrying the sleep pressure from day to day. So caffeine is fine. If you get yeah, really that's a nice gauge. Really, yeah, if yeah. you're if you're craving coffee, if you're reaching for that because you rely on it, then that's a, a pretty clear clue that you're probably not getting the sleep that you need to feel rested in the morning, and you're just you know basically trying to cover up for that with with a stimulant. So it's a clue. I think it's, I think it, I, I agree. I think it's totally worth looking into. Um, I mean, I you know my kind of goal. I don't want to be have any sort of need or crutch for any sort of you know, substance, you know, caffeine, anything, cheese even. So I like, you know, I do enjoy them, but I certainly try not to have them every day because if I, like, again, they can be a crutch. That means that it's enabling poor, you know, poor sleep. And there's other things that are happening. If I'm not getting good enough sleep, I can take some coffee and it's going to make me feel a little bit more vigilant that day. But overall, it's not a perfect solution because there's all those other things that are happening during sleep, right? So you can't just block it. Yeah, even if you could just completely perfectly block the effects of sleepiness, it still wouldn't be ideal because all that other stuff that's affecting your cognition, your memory, et cetera, it's not optimized, right? So that's mm-hmm. a good point to make because it's I do know a lot of you know, there are people who are like I you know, they're they're looking for ways to then try to be less sleepy even though they're not getting enough sleep. And again, you're kind of making a short term, you know, you're saying you're, you're kind of uh, sacrificing future that for an immediate, like, well, I'm just going to sleep right now for X, Y, and Z. But really, you're affecting, you know, how well you're mentally performing and physically performing one, two, three months from now, right? So you really want, you know, again, good sleep is, is really key. And it's, there's a lot of reasons. You know, we become more impulsive um, because of a tired mind right before bed. So it's the perfect storm. You're sleepy and it's your own personal time, and now all of a sudden you're like, well, I want to, um, you know, I want to watch another episode of TV. I want to spend time with my spouse and my, you know, my, my, my family, and I want to, you know, read that article or play that game, whatever it is. And that's one of the problems of our society. We all will all, we always need time for our, our personal interests. And, mm-hmm. and it's a very power. that is a very powerful you know, driver for us to not do the right thing. And it affects me, too. That's when I kind of laugh and chuckle to like, well, what do you do? You know, I mean, I, and I do, <laughs> and, I re- and I really do, you know, like I said, honor that. But, you know, there are nights where I'm like, oh, gosh, it's, you know, it's 1 a.m., what have I done? <laughs> you know, I try not to worry yeah. about it. Um, and then I well, I know what will make some of those, those yeah. some of the ladies, their, their ears are going to perk up now when we talk about, you know, sleep loss and, and fat. So not getting sleep can contribute to fat in the body. So how how does this happen? I mean, I know we, we talk about cortisol a lot on the show, but how, how is this connection made that if you are sleep-deprived, it's going to actually affect your metabolism and your ability to lose weight? Yeah, I mean, this is this is another one of those subjects where it's, like, you know, mind-blown. Um, this, is, this is the topic of my research. So uh, I've been very interested in the topic for quite a while. Um, the 
a lot of the research is coming out of um, started started to come out of and continues to come out of from uh, the Chicago area, University of Chicago, um, with Ed Ben Cotter's research group, and now a few others that are um, kind of collaborating with her, and they are looking at insulin sensitivity with sleep loss, and then also a variety of what are called homeostatic hormones. These are hormones that help to try to keep your the fat, uh, fat levels in check, meaning like they're acting like a thermostat in a way. So they're adjusting when fat levels decrease or increase, they make adjustments, um, and then they signal the brain, and the brain acts in a compensatory fashion to try to, you know, keep the fat levels at a homeostatic set point at a certain level. And what happens when you're not getting enough sleep is hormones like leptin and ghrelin, which both are involved in energy regulation and hunger, will adjust in a manner that would theoretically make you burn less energy and be hungrier the next day, right? And this, now, that's potentially a really big, big problem. That's the kind of what's, what's going on. I mean, now, you know, 80, I think 81 of 89 studies, both epidemiological, longitudinal, clinical, all different types of studies have looked that have looked into sleep loss or, you know, from total sleep deprivation to partial sleep restriction, have shown a positive correlation between lack of sleep and then weight gain, such that if you get, you know, around six hours per night, you have a 55% increased risk of developing obesity than somebody who slept exactly just about eight hours a night and otherwise live a lifestyle that, you know, normalcy, you know, very consistent. So non-smoking, exercise, certain other, you know, so they put controls on, you know, the population to see that they're just trying to study one thing. So that's fascinating, right? What's happening internally from a hormone perspective? Secondarily, mm-hmm. as we were talking about earlier, there's also the mental aspect. And that's the area that I studied that I study, and I think that it's, uh, and I'll give you an example. So my latest research project, I studied 50 subjects, and I had them come into the study, and, and I, they did um, a battery of cognitive measures. So they basically, I had them take a couple of reaction time tests, that I looked at their memory and their mood and a variety of different things. Um, and I did that exact same test, testing period twice um, at baseline, and then a week later, and before the second study, I actually uh, had them randomized to get more or less sleep. Um, and so what I did is I was trying to look at their level of alertness. How alert were they? How fast did they were they able to respond to something called a psychomotor vigilance test? And ultimately, what we were trying to look at was, did these people eat more calories when they were sleep deprived? And did they actually um, did it change the way that they ate? they start to eat different types of food from, you know, when they were sleep deprived. And what I I showed is that they didn't actually eat more calories um, in in the study, but they did start to eat a lot. A much larger fraction of their meals was made up of food that the subjects rated as not healthy. So all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. they're much more likely to eat a bunch of gummy bears, which is actually Mm -hmm. one thing that we provided in the study, even though they're like, you know what? I recognize those aren't good for me, right? The first week, they're not food deprived. They didn't need any. The next week, they, they comprise the majority of what they ate, right? So it's, a, it's this multifactorial process about how sleep is, you know, a perfect storm affecting 
the type of food that we're going after. Right? The other, you know, um, Another really interesting study is that the areas that are uh, involved in the hedonic or pleasurable properties of food that drive our behavior. So, you know, for example, if you like donuts and you see a donut and you're like, ooh, I want that, those areas that say, ooh, I want that, really escalate in their activity, right? They become, and you can, and this, these are studies that have been done under fMRI, which is a functional magnetic resonance imaging, where you're actually having somebody sit in this chamber, you'll you're watching the brain work while it's thinking. Very sophisticated, only used in, you know, put that in research protocols. But basically, those areas that say, ooh, I want that donut, are like off the charts active, right? And yeah. When you tip, yeah, so what you typically see in sleep loss studies is that people eat about 300 calories more per day. And some studies have shown that that corresponds with an increase in hunger, and other studies that have shown that 300-calorie increase compared to control groups don't show an increase in hunger. So people are like, oh, I'm no hungrier than, you know, the guy that got a full night's sleep sitting next to me, but I still ate. Right? So mm-hmm. now you've got this perfect storm of your hormones are changing internally that are directing the energy that you're taking in uh, so that you're more likely to store and gain fat and you're also more likely to pursue and consume energy dense, you know, highly palatable foods, foods that you know you shouldn't be eating, you're going to eat more of them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, fascinating area of study, all, all of it, I think the cognition aspects of it are the most fascinating, but that's just my personal bias, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but yeah, so it's a, it definitely plays a, you know, a role. And, you know, if you superimpose the rise in obesity from, like, the mid-'80s to now, and you then, uh, over a graph that looks at how sleep times have changed in that same period of time, they're basically, like, crisscrossing like an X. As sleep times have yeah. gone down, obesity rates have gone, been going up. Um, and there's one work from a guy, Jean-Claude Chapeau in Montreal, who said, you know, we're always looking at, you know, certain markers of energy density, you know, certain types of foods uh, uh, in our diet, and then phys- lack of physical activity in obesity studies. And they did a meta-analysis of a lot of data, and they showed that lack of sleep actually, you know, had a stronger correlation than these other traditional areas. And his point was, listen, we need to start looking at this in all of our, you know, in all the traditional obesity research too. So it's mm-hmm. definitely an important third component. And so, you know, in fact, we've created a weight loss program where we highlight and talk about a lot of this research. And then, you know, the main point of it is to try to get you to eat the right set of foods, do the right amount of physical activity and get the right amount of sleep to try to help you, you know, achieve and sustain your ideal weight. But it's a mm-hmm. really big, it's a really big area to focus on that's oftentimes not discussed, and it should be. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Let's um let's leave our listeners with some nuggets, some little real practical things they can do to have restful sleep and sleep like a baby. So what would be like your top like four or five little nuggets you could leave with our listeners? Yeah, totally. Well, I would say um set an intention. You know, ask yourself this question right now, what time do I want to be in bed every night? And a lot of people won't have a clear answer. Some people will. It's good if you do. 
But forming an intention and saying, you know what, I know in my mind I want to be in bed by 11.30 every night is really good because, again, you know, every night if you just watch one more episode of, you know, Game of Thrones or play around in the, you know, your laptop a little bit longer, that, you know, you can be missing out in half an hour of sleep night after night, and that's significant. All right, so try to, you know, I would say first form an intention, what time do I want to be in bed, and then try to work to really honor that, right? I mean, it's only as powerful as the strength that you give it, right? If you're like, I don't want to be in bed at this time and you don't pay attention to it, it's not going to help you, right? But it's your own personal goal. Try to get, you know, meet that. And then secondly, you know, if, if let's say you want to be in bed by 1130, right? If you only start to think about it at 1130, then it's probably going to be, you're not going to make it every night, right? You're going to, if you're just starting to brush your teeth and lay out your clothes for tomorrow, whatever that is, you're going to get into bed 20 minutes later. So try to, you know, know what time you want to be in bed. And a good half an hour before that, hour to an hour, start turning, you know, turn off the electronics. Try to get in bed before the time that you want to actually start going to sleep, right? I mean, it's lights out. It's really lights out at 1130. Now go to bed at 1130 or whatever your time is, okay? So mm-hmm. work backwards. Think about what you need to do. Um and then lastly, uh, the, the next three is half an hour outside every day. You know, have lunch outside, walk around. And if you can't, if the weather's not great, whatever, um, you know, there's other – it's probably not going to be too significant. But try to stand by a window. Um, you might also look into a blue light. These are things that emit blue light during the day that you can keep by your desk. And you can think of it like a cup of coffee. It's surprising, but very reliably, if you look at blue light entering the eye while somebody's doing cognitive tasks, they perform a lot better when they're at blue light entering their eye. A lot better. All right? So that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, in the evening, dim your lights in your, in, in, in your environment. So turn down, turn off lights that you don't need. Put dimmer switches on, you know, your home lights if you can. Try not to turn the bathroom lights on full blast just when you're brushing your teeth. Right. Um, turn the brightness all the way down on your your you know your iPhone or your iPad. Uh, install F Lux. So really try to manage the light in the evening. Okay. And then at night, um, you know, try to keep your room uh, interruption free. So try to keep it dark. You know, it doesn't have to be pitch black, but I think that you know a lot of people report that they sleep better when it is. And I try to keep my room you know very dark. Um, try to keep it cool and comfortable and quiet. And, you know, use your plugs if you have, you know, a train, for, for example, that drives by your house and wakes you up, in, you know, mm-hmm. at night. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, try to, you know, make your sleep environment as conducive to restful sleep. So there's nothing artificial in your environment that's waking you up and erupting. And so between all of that, you've got, you know, you know what time to get in bed. You know what time you need to kind of start working so that you're falling, turning the light off at the right time. You're getting good light day, evening, and night. You know, and then also physical activity, too, during the day. Just a, a regular physical activity practice can also really help. Like, if you look at bed rest studies where people, you know, are, are having to stay in bed. But what happens is if you think of sleep and physical activity almost like, um, you know, two sides of, two sides of uh, the same coin or different, excuse me, different sides of the same coin. Um you know, when those bed rest studies, people had very fragmented sleep, so they were up 
multiple times per night when they had to rest all day. So physical activity and even mental activity can really help uh, you get deeper restorative sleep. So that's probably like six or seven ideas, but all of those, (laughs) (laughs) they all matter. You know, the whole lifestyle matters, but it's all a very attainable thing. You know, nothing's super exotic. It's just trying to mimic a natural environment as much as you can, using your body the way that, you know, that feels right, you know, just walking and walking and talking, getting some exercise when you can, using your mind, you know, um, that also helps as well. Um, And then trying to be as consistent as possible. And the last thing I would say is, you know, um, I think that the self-tracking world is really taking off. And and I say that because the amount of apps that people are using and the devices that people are now using, like Fitbits, et cetera, um, it's why we designed our tools. Uh, You know, we integrate with things like Fitbit and with things, these things that collect data. The way that I think of it, is what, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a person who has a self-tracking company that doesn't necessarily love self-tracking, right? I want to keep it as simple as possible, but think of it like a gas gauge on your car, right? When that gas, right. when that, you know, that needle goes down, it lets you know, hey, you know what, you're going to need to get some, you know, fill up your gas, right? And without that sort yeah. of feedback in our world today, it's just very easy to be getting less, you know, 40 minutes less sleep on average than what you want. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the real purpose of these tools is to just keep you mindful, is to clarify goals and keep you mindful if you're living in that, you know, again, we're calling that zone of health. And I think that everybody, I'm sure if you're listening to this, this show, you care about your health. And this just helps you do some of these mundane but important things that can have a very long, big impact on, you know, again, how you perform day to day. But then also trajectories, what life is like for you five, ten years from now or longer. You know, if you have someone that's really not doing everything well, they can maintain that long term and it's going to have significant impact. Or you can do these little things, stay aware of them every day, and you're going to have a, a different outcome. And so I encourage everybody to, you know, give that a shot. You know, Dance Plan is free. There's other tools out there too, but it's a great way to stay, you know, again, mindful of, how you're living on a day-by-day basis, and, you know, you're going to be the one that benefits from it. Sure. So those are, my, those are my sleep recommendations. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Hey, where can people uh, follow you? So danceplan.com, do you have any other uh, websites, or is that the, the main one for people? Yeah, you know, we do a little bit of blogging, not a ton, but um, whenever, you know, um, at Twitter we're at at danceplanhealth, and I will – uh, you know, if I read new research, I'll, it's usually um, pretty interesting stuff that I put up there, just about stuff that I'm reading. Um, so those are really the places that I, I would encourage people to check out. Awesome. Thanks for being Facebook my guest. <laughs> and I, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, Facebook. We're all on there, too. Um, Dan, thanks for being my guest tonight. It was fun. I had a great time. And I, I really appreciate you inviting me on. I, I, um, thank yeah, you so much. And, yeah, it's nice to be able to talk with, to, with you and, you know, hopefully your community will have got some uh, some good nuggets, as you say, from this and, and benefits from that. Of course, yeah. Well, enjoy the rest of your night, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Okay, thanks. Bye.
All right, guys, that's that's my show with Dan. I um, love the information. So many really good nuggets he dropped on us today. Um, wanted to add a, a few in here that I would recommend as well. The one thing I see in my practice a lot is uh, hormone issues, hormonal issues, I should say. And um, as you guys know from listening to the show, hormones play such a huge role in how you feel. And one of the main hormones that contributes to sleep is progesterone. So if you implement all these things we talked about tonight, you know, you're you're feeling better, but maybe your sleep isn't as good as you would like it to be, you might want to get some hormonal testing done. Progesterone, one in particular, works on the same receptors as GABA. GABA is like the brake pedal. It helps you just really calm down, and it can really contribute to restful sleep. So um, if you're maybe mid-30s, 40s, you know, 40s or so, you're feeling like your your sleep isn't as good as it used to be, I strongly recommend to get some hormonal testing done to see how your progesterone looks because that can make a huge difference. Um, also, too, one thing I've been recommending for patients is to wear um, blue blocker glasses. They're incredibly fashionable, and I'm being totally joking right now. Um, check out the website lowbluelights.com. That's L-O-W, blue, as in B-L-U-E, lights, L-I-G-H-T-S.com, lowbluelights.com. These are some glasses you can wear when the sun goes down that helps to block out some of that blue light that you can get from light bulbs and um, street lights and all that kind of stuff. And I've had really great success with that for patients. So um, I think if you implement all these things we talked about in the show, you, you will be sleeping like a baby. So I wish you guys the very best. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Next week's show, I'm talking with Shelly Cron. We're going to be talking about Eastern medicine for fertility. So check that out. Check me out, DrLaurenNoel.com. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and I will talk to you guys next week. Okay, bye. <laughs> Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.